Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to another extra special, extra crispy edition of Thrash and Treasure, the Torture Chamber Musical Comedy Podcast, where two friends who can't face the music force each other for shits and giggles. And speaking of can't face, I'm Aaron. Yeah. And I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host. If this guy deep dives in a forest, but nobody's there to learn anything, did he make a sound? Dunno, I failed maths, but it's Evan the Metal Man. How's it going? <laughs> hey, how are you? Yeah, did you like that one? Yeah, that was that was good. If I deep dive into a forest and there's no one around to learn anything. Yeah, I, I was talking about the can't, as in C-A-N-T people, get your minds out of the gutter, face. It's from The Sound of Music, where the um, Mother Superior turns to Marie and goes, what is it you can't face? <laughs> That's not what I heard. That was my childhood, folks. Uh, anyways, guess what? What? We have another legendary diva in the studio today, and I'm so excited, I put my condom on before I left. And he can't blame me, because this genius gent exploded across the Broadway stage by exposing us to the full Monty by a group of dirty, rotten scoundrels that sent women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. But not before this euphoric euphemist earned an Emmy Award for his editorial efforts for early episodes of David Letterman, plus this cunning linguist and lyricist's artistic interests consist of a list of soloist albums with a rock twist, insisting this mister enjoy a tryst working with one of the greatest bands ever, XTC. Oh dear God, I can't believe he agreed to come on this show. So please give the warmest, most Aussiest g'day to the composer who untucked Tootsie while Dustin Hoffman knee trophies for today's Tony and Grammy award winning musical. That means he got to get, but not he got, but that can't be far off because he's an artist whose resume is longer than Pinocchio's nose on a first date. The laughing man whose opening theme songs to Where in the World and Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego still linger as an earworm in every 90s kid's ears. And so today, we're getting revenge in our torture chamber. So please welcome to the show, one of Broadway's most compelling, most talented, most evil monkey men. And that's just what's written on the bathroom walls of 54 Below. So get down on your knees and dig a hole for the writer, producer, composer, lyricist, beatboxer, recording artist. It's the deliciously devilish Mr. David Yazbek. Welcome to the torture chamber. How are you going? Check, please. I feel pretty tortured already. Um, yeah, awesome. That, I mean, what I what I really find very entertaining is that you, you mentioned all these titles of songs that I've put on my albums. Yep. So so no one's going to know what the fuck you were talking about. No. Nope. Um, David, have you heard this show? No one ever knows what the fuck I am ever talking about. That's a hook. That's the hook right there. That's why I have Evan. So for a change, I actually got most of those references. Wow. Did you? Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Digging a hole underneath another hole. And yeah, oh, I, I have, I have listened. I have done some research. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Now we do some deep cuts here, but how are you going? I'm good. Thank yep. you. Yep. Surviving yeah. COVID as we all are. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just, I'm padding till I find the first question notes. Um, but yes, okay, so you and I, we both had a, a bit of a fangirl moment the other day talking about XTC, which I mentioned in your introduction. 
Now, speaking of COVID, how much more relevant to the world would you say Dear God is today than it was when it was released? <laughs> yeah, it's actually always relevant because it's, it's really one person's, you know, sort of struggle with not believing. Yeah. But, you know, he's pretty much a died-in-the-world atheist, the guy who wrote that song, Andy Partridge. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I think like many atheists, he thinks that organized religion has been a cause of more evil than good in the world. Mm-hmm. Can't argue with that. I got baptized a born-again Christian, which they tried to pray the gay out of me. So they did a really good job of that, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that always works. Yes, yeah, don't tell me about it. But speaking of rock stars and crazy, what would be in your crazy backstage rider? Oh, when I was when I was touring, you mean? With- oh, no, just any. Use your imagination if you had your fantasy rider. Your fan. What would be in your your most craziest fantasy rider? I would like there to be uh, a lot of cooking oils. Okay. Uh, yep. And and fats. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I'd like there to be some kind of a vibrating uh, butt lamp uh, made available, <laughs> made available to the band as well as myself. And I would very much like there to be uh, a selection of edged weapons so that um, uh, so that I could practice my skills. And then finally, I would like there to be some type of a console so that I can play you know filthy arcade games i don't know where i'm going i was good i i started down that road and i didn't know where i was going to end up and it just didn't go anywhere sorry i I thought you were going to end with plastic drop sheets just so you know the other thing that's happening right now is i was at a friend's house in vermont a few weeks ago and he gave me this vial of um cannabis tincture that uh his his son had sort of prepared from plants they had someone had growing somewhere mm-hmm. and so you know I, I tried a little bit like a stopper full a few days ago and it was I didn't feel anything it's sort of you know but today I had two entire stopper fulls in a glass of water about two hours ago mm-hmm. <laughs> and my something's going on my brain just isn't working quite as well as it usually does there you go there's my story <laughs> I never and I never get high I don't drink you know it's like I'm such a lightweight so yeah wow we have an exclusive here folks we have a <laughs> Broadway composer a Grammy Emmy and Tony winner high off his face on our show so this is our first <laughs> I'm not, not off my face uh, anyways okay yeah. no, that, that is actually the craziest backstage writer we've had so far but not yet a goat we may get there one day uh, but anyways, we'll jump straight into the metal album because this week, David, you chose what I would listen to, dive into. So would you like to tell our listeners what you have given us? Well, I gave you Led Zeppelin Four, which is by many people's standards, actually the greatest metal album song for song ever, ever made. Uh, for me, it's an, it's an album, it's one of those records that I can remember the first of 10,000 times I listened to it. You know, when I was, I don't what, what, 12, you know. You were about, yeah, I was going to say you were about 10 or 11 when this was released. It was like 71 probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then, of course, listen to it over and over. It's got some of the most uh, iconic riffs. It has a song that was at the time just the most amazing rock ballad ever made. And now everybody's heard it too many times. I, I don't even want to listen to it anymore. Stairway to Heaven. 
But at the time you look at that, you, you listen to it and you t- you're just go on a journey because there's very, very strong, heavy pounding metal. Then there's like a little bit of their, you know, English countryside, you know, someone, J- Jimmy Page picked up a, a mandolin, you know, yeah. type stuff. But it also has, you know, you can look at it and you can say, oh, Black Dog, that's just one of the greatest metal, you know, uh, guitar riffs ever. You can look at rock and roll, which is just, uh, it's just sheer excitement when you listen to it. It just sounds like excitement. Um, but for me, the one that really, the song that really gets me is When the Levee Breaks. It's the last song on the album. And uh, I, it was when I learned to play it on the drums, it's sort of, it seems hard because you're, because you know, you know what it does. Um, but, but I remember learning to play it on the drums, on someone's drums when I was 12 or 13 and just feeling so cool. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite drum, you know, like drum introductions of any song. Yeah. Any, what else can I say? I mean, it's just, uh, I had a lot of, I had a lot of thoughts about what I wanted to, and I just kept coming back to Led Zeppelin for, I thought black and ACDC. I thought, you know, like, uh, I thought maybe you should get some Hendrix on your, on that, even though he's not, um, anyway, but this is the, this is the one. Yeah. No, I haven't done Hendrix yet. No. When the levee breaks is, um, I, I brought up a while ago about the Zeppelin uh, recording in a stone stairwell, and that that's when the levee breaks. Oh, that's the song. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, sort of they're at the foot of the stairs, and they stuck the microphones at the top of the stairs to get this reverb echo, and then they compress that down, and that's you get right. this really unique sound that you just can't get live. So yeah. everyone's trying to, you know. And on that song, they use they use that space almost sounds like a delay. You know, like you would mm. use a digital delay now that that yeah. very effective. Yeah. I um I think we should skip my review this week. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing to say through that because I'm blushing. My face is so burning hot right now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you may have underestimated just how beloved this album is throughout the world. I, I didn't. I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to insult anybody. When I first saw the cover, I saw there was a monkey with a big penis, only to realize I was looking at it upside down. Turns out it's a monkey with a huge penis. Oh, but then I noticed I had the wrong album by the wrong artist. Sorry, David. And so I proceeded to press search on the Spotify and found Led Zeppelin's Ivy. And so when I first saw the cover, I couldn't help but wonder what I ever did to deserve this. So I pressed play and realised that the opening track, Black Dog, was far too familiar, given that opening screech is used in every frigging radio promo ever. So I skipped to rock and roll, expecting some classic 50s-inspired classic that I had never heard only to realise that it was a classic 50s-inspired classic that I have heard. (laughs) So hoping for a third time lucky, I skipped to the Battle of Evermore, which is a fitting title since I do find it a battle to listen to Evermore. Regardless, this was not the third time lucky, as this mellowed but melodic effort left me feeling antsy for the excitement of the immigrant song. Hey, Thor. And this sounded too much like some of Jefferson Airplane's more muted album tracks. As the next song started, did I get my excitement? No. Stairway 
denied of something fun. <laughs> Although a classic, I don't have 26 minutes to spare. Misty Mountain Hop was slightly familiar with its classic Brit invasion flavour taking over after this hour of mellowing out. Four sticks also piqued my interest until my numerical OCD reared its ugly head again when I checked to make sure it was track four, but nope, typical, it's track six. Not even the legendary Led Zeppelin can count. Anyways, four sticks got my blood racing, but maybe that's the lingering thoughts about Thor. Hmm, Norse gods. Wait, where was I? All right. Going to California pulled out the sing-along style of track three, although this one doesn't go forever, which therein lies my problem. I've misplaced my notes. What have I done? Oh, shit. Sorry. And there was some funny jokes in that one, too. They don't always land, David, would you believe? <laughs> he, he doesn't use computers. I don't know what's going I don't. I don't. I write it all by hand because I don't want to... And I'm always, oh, here we go. Sorry. There, oh, it was on the fucking back of the fucking page. Oh, oh my God, fathers. What a scatterbrain. Okay, that's going as an Easter egg at the end of the episode. Anyways, at first I was like, yeah, Led Zeppelin, but without enough chunky, hunky Thor, sorry, hard music to latch onto, I found myself drifting away with the almost middling passages, longing for the lyrical abstractions of Jefferson Airplane and the slick voice of grace. So do I score this as a classic beloved album or do I score this as the underwhelming listen that I found it to be? Led Zeppelin hasn't appeared much in my music history and I don't know if they will be on the Immigrant Song. Again, Thor, call me. And so it was a bit like the end of the full Monty. Just not enough meat. <laughs> Two stars. <laughs> Two. So, yeah. Oh. I, I was... Okay, Black Dog, yeah, that's a classic song, Stairway, just drove me nuts. And thank you for getting that Wayne's World joke, by the way. <laughs> we are all of that age. Yeah, no, I was, I don't know, it was just, there was too much middling for me. And that's my problem with prog rock. It's just, if it's not psychedelic enough for me to be able to, to go on a trip with it, then I'm kind of just sitting there going, just hurry up. And when your song's fucking seven minutes long, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm like, no. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm like, I'm going to make a coffee in the meantime and deliberately oh, fill the kettle up so it takes Jesus. me forever. So, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'd like to know, do you pronounce Zeppelin Zeppelin or is that a j- part of the joke? That's me being a dickwad, really. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you never know. I, yeah. Right. You, I think you've committed sacrilege a fair few times in that in that review. That I mean... I have. <sighs> You've you've just insulted Jesus, really. Well, <laughs> it's on that scale. That's that's where you that's where you are. I look. I don't discount their talent or their worth or their legacy or anything like that. It was just there was too many middling songs. That's all it was. It's it's an ongoing problem with me and prog rock. But that's not. But I mean. When you say prog rock, you mean yes and Rick Wakeman and that kind of stuff? I mean, that, you know, King Crimson? Um, I have no idea who any of those people are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, never mind. I, I have a very, I have an encyclopedic knowledge of American popular music. Mm. And actually, I have pretty wide knowledge of world music. But 
I go through these phases where I just want to listen to headbangers or I just want to listen or I'll listen to prog rock like Emerson Lake and Pop. I'll just listen for a week. Um, all these little stopping points through my, through my, uh, through my life. So it's always interesting to me when there's someone who just, uh, doesn't get it. <laughs> well, doesn't get a certain thing yeah. the way I would, the way I don't get Chinese opera. Like Evan didn't get Jerry Springer, the opera. <laughs> He just didn't get it. He ripped it to pieces. He gave it a minus score, David. I was mortified. It was a minus seven for the seventh level of hell that it belongs on. Oh, dear. It was minus seven for your IQ. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, no, I, look, I, no, I get it. I, I do. It was just... Hmm. And I'm not even in yeah. lockdown. Like, that was part of the problem throughout this year is being stuck in lockdown and being forced to listen to music I couldn't escape from, from this space. And I willingly put these CDs or these albums on 20 something times throughout the week that I, I listened to them or weeks sometimes um yeah it was just too middling for me and the stairways and all rights like it's a good song it's just you're right it's done to death I'm just I'm so bored <laughs> there's a reason why it's done to death I'm like just oh fucking die already seriously <laughs> all right so I'm just going to run through the facts here all right so it's 1971 the band has sequestered itself into a little three-story well, I say little, it was a three-story stone estate called Headley Grange in, the, in East Hampshire. They intended the album to be completely untitled. It's, it's not written any, there's no text on the album at all, as far as I know, just the four symbols representing the four band members. Now, I thought we were hopefully satisfying your numerical OCD with this being their fourth album, and there's four symbols representing the four band members, and there's four songs aside, but unfortunately... Four Sticks isn't the fourth song, and it's not four minutes long, which was a missed opportunity. That was missed. But where was the symbols? The only symbols, actually, that have been freaking me out this week are David on your album, Damascus. What do those four things have to do with the bird? That's what I really like to know. Sorry, dude. Just a segue. What are you hijacking me for? <laughs> oh, sorry, Evan. It's nothing. Nothing. It's a design choice. I don't think it's a very good-looking album cover. I'm not judging. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't like it, but, you know. Yeah, sorry. That's right. I, I can't draw, but if you want me to, I can try to, to do you. <laughs> uh, but anyway, sorry, Evan. I, I just said that had been bugging me all week. I didn't know what they meant. And I thought I'd save it for the episode. I got in. So anyway, continue. There's four symbols. Oh, it must be in the inside cover. I unfortunately don't have a copy here on vinyl with me, which kind of sucks. I should have it. I will have it one day. But yeah, there's four, four symbols. There's like a feather. There's three rings, which is like, you know, man, woman, and child. They've um, there's a Celtic knot and one that sort of, it looks like letters saying Zozo, which often this album is referred to as Zozo, but they're not, not supposed to be letters. That's just a symbol that John Bonham chose. So yeah, there is four symbols. I was going to put them up anyway. So they did sort of do things in fours. Led Zeppelin did a, pretty much everything had a reason. Generally, everything would have a reason behind it. They were deeply into mysticism. They were, Jimmy Page was, was uh, heavily into the writings of Alastair Crowley. And he, he did eventually open a, his own occult bookshop just because he was annoyed that he couldn't get the books that he, was, he wanted. So he opened his own bookshop. So there's a lot of occult references. There's a lot of, uh, not to say that he was into black magic. He was just deeply interested by it. Um, but, Evan, I just want to, let me just say this. I'm not into Aleister Crowley, but I know who he is. And mm -hmm. I know that Jimmy Page was into his writings. And at the end of the song, Dig a Hole, aforementioned, in the introduction by Aaron, there's a voice speaking, and that's Alistair Crowley. Oh, nice! Just oh. you know, just 
just pushing it, pulling it all together. It's, yeah. it's a Led Zeppelin reference, really, not an Alistair Crowley reference. So yeah, I, yeah, I delved into his history yesterday, um, and he seems to be just like a rich playboy who was into sex parties, as far as I could tell. He's pretty much full of shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're gonna have this spell that'll take six weeks and require fifteen virgins. Yeah, <laughs> all for me. <laughs> That's basically what went on, and he just travelled the world having these so-called occult sex parties. Yeah. So uh, where are we? With the fourth album, this is this is the height of their or getting to the height of their popularity. They were super mega, you know, biggest band in the world at this point. John, and you can't, we can't talk about Led Zeppelin IV without talking about John Bottom's drumming. He had a way of using a drum kit like it's, it was an equal, an equal partner of the band as an instrument. It, it was like the lead guitar of drums. He didn't just carry a beat. He drove the music forward many, many times. Um, and, and so often in this album, he's off in his own little world, uh, you know, in odd time signatures and, and it just works, um, and which does make it so hard to cover, um, especially uh, whereas Black Dog has a lot of odd time signatures and it, it comes in on the and of three, which, which messes with a lot of cover bands all the time because they, yeah, they mess up the start and everyone, then everyone's off and you've got to start all over again. Do you know why? Because I don't do musical theatre where they got to start singing on the downbeat. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. But here's the, uh, other, here's, here's the other thing about that song, which you could never do in musical theatre because you have to stick to what's going on because it's all about timing. Hmm. But when that, someone asked Bonham about the way that the, when the guitar and bass are playing, that, that part. And the drums is just powering through, even though they're in a weird time. Yes. He said, none of us knew what the time signature was. I just, we just played it that way. And we always played it that way after the first time. There's no way of really recording it on paper. So it would take a lot of rehearsal to get a pit orchestra to, <laughs> to do something. <laughs> no, I had four, four sticks I had written down. That's a mixture of five, eight and six, eight. I didn't have Black Dog written down. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a hard one to wrap your head around if you're not, you know, if you're just starting out. Yeah, let's cover some Led Zeppelin. And yeah, it's, it's not going to end well. Um, and of course, you know, it, God, you can write an entire thesis on this album. I'm sure people probably have. I just did. <laughs> no, what are you talking not. about? I read a real thesis. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I've seen. I, I, there's just so many reviews, so many hours and hours and hours of people on YouTube talking about this album. It was quite incredible. And they all try to break down the meanings of all the songs. And a lot of the songs do have a lot of meanings behind them. There's Tolkien references, there's tributes to, you know, Little Richard and Elvis. There's... Oh, was there? So I missed all that. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's this, this Lord of the Rings references, there's, there's stuff all the way through it. And then the funny one is Black Dog again, where people try to break it down going, oh, I think it's to do with depression. I think it's got to do about this and that. And, and it was literally, there was just a black dog hanging around and they <laughs> wrote about a black dog. There's one of the ones that doesn't have a meaning and it's just, no, it was just a black dog that was hanging about, you know. Oh, is that what it's about? Because <laughs> the lyrics now come up on Spotify, which doesn't help my case in terms of paying attention. Now I friggin' have to, don't I? Um, but I didn't catch the Lord of the Rings reference. What was that? Uh, that was the. That was actually Misty. Misty Mountain Hop. Was all, of course. That's, that's no, all Tolkien. Yeah. Yep. No wonder it sounded <laughs> familiar to me. Legit. I'm like Misty Mountain Hop. Why, this... why people love this album so much? They will just sit there and listen to it over and over and over and hear more and more and get more and more references. Um, obviously, this came out well before there was a Lord of the Rings movie. So it was people who had read the books. 
we're sort of getting the this animated. insider knowledge of like, oh my god, he's writing about my favorite thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, if it, if you mentioned Gollum, my ears would burn. <laughs> it's it's so uh-huh. deep. Um, yeah, there's tributes all the way through this album to to what they grew up listening to, the early blues and John, the Johnny Hookers and oh, like yeah, you can you can go into a very deep dive into this album, which I kind of did. I, I was researching Crowley and the the recording of it and his bloody guitar. Yeah, he's he, he was given this guitar by Jeff Beck from the Yardbirds. Yeah, Jimmy Page originally started in the Yardbirds playing bass. He before that was a session musician, and they you know they assembled Led Zeppelin and you know it's all it's all the history's all there as as Dave would probably know because he was around at that time. That's not that much older you're than not me. Only making a, bit. a an age joke there are you to my guest? No, but like this is your <laughs> teenage. This is your teenage music. You know, this is the albums that okay. are coming out when you're okay. a teenager. And, you know, the albums that came out when I was you know a teenager end of high school they're the ones that live with you forever when you first start in your own musical choices and what you're going to purchase you know that's the kind of music that lives with you forever yeah I'm and sorry. and yeah this is the time period um anyway yeah he had this guitar it was given to him by jeff beck of the yardbirds this white guitar and he stuck mirrors on it to to make it look cool on stage and eventually at one point he stripped it he wanted to make it his own and he painted this dragon on it out of poster paint and you know had it sealed and had that for years um it recorded stairway on it and it's this iconic fender telecaster now he was on tour at one point and he left his house and that guitar at home uh in in the care of a friend who was a bit of an artist to look after you know house sit look after my shit he comes back off tour and his friend is like oh i've got a present for you well okay what is this telecaster that he's done up and he's an artist and he's done all this random shit over this guitar he's like oh that's really nice where's my guitar oh no this is your guitar jimmy page said at the time i didn't think of it but i should have smashed it over his fucking head um he immediately had it stripped back again he's like this is oh what have you done you know oh my god what have you done so he stripped it back and it sort of sat bare for many years and he's finally i'm not sure when but he partnered with fender fender took it off him restored it you know got it all sorted out properly and started making copies of it while they're at it because it's a bit of a hodgepodge of a guitar and then jimmy himself with the original poster paints repainted that dragon got it all refinished and so now fender do put out a version of that dragon guitar but then i watched the video of them presenting him back with his original guitar exactly as it was and you know the, the old guy's freaking nearly in tears just that's mm. such a special guitar to him and and to see it in its former glory again Oh, it's, it's moving. It's on YouTube there. It's it's really moving to see, you know, someone get there, the most prized possession finally restored back again. It's very cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm, I'm looking at the guitar online right now. It's it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you can now buy them. You can buy the white version and the and the dragon version. But yeah, yeah the original has been restored and put back where it yeah. belongs. Yeah. Can they restore my heart and put that back where it yeah. belongs? <laughs> I, was, I just couldn't believe it when he's telling the story. Like, who... Who would touch another man's guitar and refinish it, <laughs> thinking he would like it? Someone who thinks they're, you know, a, yeah. that they're God's gift to the to the world. <laughs> yeah, it's something a bloody three-year-old would do, uh, or four-year-old think they're helping their parents. Yeah, no, do it on do it on a different Telecaster and go. I hope you like it. You don't. No, you don't do that. <laughs> and specifically that one, you know, like I said, that's that was the stairway guitar. Uh, nuts. It doesn't make me like it anymore, though. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, again, these guys were just, you know, Led Zeppelin were just, uh, again, biggest band in the world. They were just party 24-7. Oh, yeah, there's so many anecdotes of them, you know, 
messing up hotel rooms and and just they started it you know they started the whole rock and roll lifestyle are they the brown m&ms no that's <laughs> that's van halen Van Halen. okay yeah because yeah. i have told the story of why it is but i just keep forgetting who it was all right i'll forget it by next episode so get ready for me to ask again no this is a yeah it's a you could deep dive into this album the the, the recording of in henley grange you know this big stone building they could use all the different rooms and get all these different effects and they had all the time in the world to do it it's the way to do it they all sort of lived there and just hung out and got drunk and played music and recorded when they felt like it and that that's the way to do it it's when some of the greatest albums of all time are made and people are able to just do it at their leisure they're not, you know, if we don't get this today, we you know, have to pay for another day, you know. Yeah. None of that. No pressure. It was all right. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. So anyone <laughs> out there, if you're crying, I'm sorry, but I didn't hate it. I just didn't hear what everyone else says. Maybe it's because I'm coming into it so late in life, whereas something like Tommy I've grown up with or Crown of Creation I've grown up with. Chuck it on a peep a bit longer and, and start picking out you know, just listen to the bass and then just listen to the drums and then just listen to the rhythm. And they're all brilliant in their own ways. And, you know, every time you listen to a song, it's, it's you know, better each time. Yeah. I'm sorry, David, do you hate me? <laughs> uh, no, not a, no, not at all. It's, it's really interesting. Like I said, yeah. it's just very interesting. Fortunately, not every album is going to be a, a hit, but no, I, I can, look, I know their value. I, I, let's just say I have the respect for them. Maybe if there was more songs like Misty Mountain Hop, which I liked that Brit Invasion sound. I like that sort of Dave Clark 5 vibe that it had. Did I, is it Dave Clark 5 that I'm thinking? Of? I don't know, one of those. Possibly, yeah. Sort of a, um, early Kinks type. Yeah, that's, I, I liked that. I didn't know it was Lord of the Rings at the time, but the more you know. Um, but anyways, I think the Zeppelin's flown off. Yeah, apart, apart from, yeah, just mentioning, you know, poor old John Bonham dying in 1980 of, as far as we know, alcohol poisoning. Oh, okay. And they and that was it. They called it quits and they just went, no, we can't do it without John. Just not going to happen. Apparently, it was just a, he was a fantastic father and a great guy, but he just loved his drink and just drunk and drunk and drunk. And one day just kept drinking all day and all night and, Someone put him to bed and he just didn't get up in the morning, which freaking sucks. But they have since played with his son. His son is now a drummer um, and they have reunited over the years uh, in, the, uh, in the 90s and 2010s. Actually, one of the shows didn't really go too well because the, there was production issues. But anyway, um, yeah, they, they pretty much have only really reformed with John Bonham's son. Jason Bonham. Yeah, but once, once John Bottom died, they, they just went, no, that's it. We, we didn't even think about finding someone else. It just wasn't going to happen without him. It's just, there's no band without any. I think if that would have been the case for any of them, if any, if they had lost anyone, they would have just gone, no, that's it. We're done. Anyways, on that note, again, thank you, Evan, for leaving us on a happy note. We're going to throw <laughs> to a commercial break. We'll be back in a moment. summer winter spring or fall the first ever musical theater sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest west end show the fossey forest ballet where's the important stuff aha a thousand pound a week ensemble rate ah that's what mamma mia likes starring philip joel and a west end cast featuring carrie alice darren denny louise demon and oliver savile and more it all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. 
yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. <gasps> Darling! How long have I been mentoring you? Three months? Two years. So her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. You can watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theatre charities, acting for others, and the theatre's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice. Tight. Alrighty, listening to Thresh and Treasure, I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the legendary David Yazbek. Honey to our ears and spice to our mouth. Goodness gracious me. Mmm, there's another reference. Yeah, the one I didn't get. Lyric reference. <laughs> I, I gathered that it was a lyric <laughs> reference that just went way over my head oh my god <laughs> but anyway so we'll move on to the musical because it's evan he pays attention much better than i do but before we get on to it what's one older maybe a paper thin musical that you would love to to get your hands on to maybe flesh out sort of add some new songs modernize it a little bit something that creators are long gone that's a very specific question and i don't know enough musicals to know what that is i mean i think when i think of the classic musicals that i love guys and dolls the pajama game west side story you know they're already they stuck with me because they were pretty close to perfect so i don't know any really particularly thin ones i'm waiting for an immersive version of oh calcutta <laughs> anyways we're going to move on and generally all, all your musicals you've done so far have, have been films does that just couldn't be bothered reading the book or uh yeah yes i'm, I'm illiterate <laughs> this is the problem i can't read you know it's funny because i obviously get asked that all the time and it's just how it happens it's like yeah it's great to adapt something if you're a composer mm. because the story's there, the characters to some extent are there. The best thing to adapt is something that you know could have been better, which I feel yeah. like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was. Full Monty was a really good movie, but it just could have been, you know, a little better. Women on the Verge is, was different because that was Almodovar's, you know, great. Yeah. I mean, there's, how could you make that better? Anyway, Tootsie I never particularly loved as a movie. And so it was really fun to get into that with uh, Robert Horn and Band's Visit. I did love as a, a movie and, you know, it was hard to see how you could musicalize it, even though it was about a band and which is one of the reasons I did it. The director of the movie, Aaron Colrin, told the producer for like a couple of years, was like, no, 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 <laughs> no, I don't. I'm not going to sell the rights as a musical. If you maybe a stage play. But, yeah. but when he saw it, he really dove into it. Like he really loved it. So I feel like in that case and in Almodovar's case, it was kind of honoring whatever that core emotion was in the original writer director in both cases. And that was it. And that made it easy too. now I'm working on two things that are not based on movies. Oh, no, three things. So, you know, my next cluster will be non movies. I don't know how, why it falls that way. Evan brings it up all the time that, oh, they bloody made a musical of this, they made a musical of that, but they've been doing that for a hundred years, Evan. I don't think yeah. you understand. Everything is based on something. And those that are original, they're, they're so incredibly rare amongst everything, even Oklahoma. I have that reaction when 
you just when you get these titles thrown at because I get offered stuff and I'm saying no a lot of the time, but also I watch these things crop up and you're like, why? Why? And you realize that there's some dumb producer who thinks like in a Hollywood way, thinks that they can chase the money by doing this title, even though it's the stupidest possible title to adapt. So that's when I get that same, you know, feeling of of like, oh, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but just before we get on to Evan's thoughts, because we're going to talk about the band's visit, um, which is based on the, the Israeli film about Egyptian musicians getting stuck in Israel, or is it the other way around? I haven't yet gotten to see the movie myself. You, you, that was it. I got it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, was because obviously you're, you're of Arab American heritage. Was that a cathartic experience sort of this late in the game? You've had this stellar career for 36 years, or as long as I've been alive, not to, to make anyone feel old um but to to get to this point you've, you know you've done the full monty you've done women on the verge is, is an italian movie get to this point in your career to then tap into your cultural heritage was that a cathartic experience uh well you're assuming i think you're seeing a picture of my childhood no? <laughs> where where there's like half of my family is lebanese yeah yep, yep. you know lebanese but then there's like the other half and that's jewish and italian so it's like I got both sides. It, you know, I could represent both sides in when it came to the characters, uh, at least in terms of you know, whatever their the tribal title is, you want to stick with them. Yeah. But uh, you know, for me, it's not like I was steeped in Arabic music all my life, but I did get interested in it really early because I was in Lebanon when I was like nine, and I I started hearing it, and it was just because I everything is interesting, all sounds are interesting to me. It really got in there. And uh, I've liked Arabic classical music, they call it, even though it's the pop music. I've liked it for a long time. So it was really fun to have a reason to dive in and write in that idiom. Yeah, but it wasn't like, oh, I'm honoring, you know, and you know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Although I did name one of the one of the uh, band's pieces uh, after this sort of great aunt of mine who I only met once, so I I don't know if that's going to sell a ticket, but no, yeah. <laughs> you know. sorry, that's it's not exactly a Marvel Easter egg right there, David. <laughs> sorry to say. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I I just found it interesting though because you had such a varied career and then sort of now. At this point, you've you've come out with this amazing musical, which is the music is stunning. It really is. Thank you, thank you. But Evan, mm. let's find out if you thought so. And um, I have the mute button at the ready. <laughs> thank you. As usual, I end up in a in a deep dive, and and even yesterday, I'm listening to you know Um Kathum, just delving around in that world. But yeah, so the band's visit based on 2007 Israeli film was it it started in got started in off Broadway 2016 after about three years of production which was really fast for a, for a musical um and then in 2017 it was on Broadway freaking 10 Tony Awards was that all in one night that must have been a busy night yeah yes. <laughs> it was it, it was a lot of fun to uh to yeah, be that's... backstage posing for pictures and stuff and watching all these people that I that I really liked and was working with win awards. It was very that was a good evening. It would have been yeah, you got one. Yeah, you got one too. Yeah, yeah. the ten yeah. of them. Jesus, oh, that's yeah. that's nuts. Proverbial big six, which is obviously the the main sort of mm. acting ones and all that. And I think the last film to have done that was Silence of the Lambs. 
So congratulations, David. The band's visit is the Silence of the Lambs of Broadway. So that, that <laughs> is an achievement because that is yeah. an amazing movie. Silence yeah. of the Yeah, it's one of the top 20 movies of all time. So I'll take that. Exactly. That is a compliment, Evan. Uh, but yeah, as, as usual, I don't know how Aaron managed to keep manages to keep these these massive shows a secret from me just in, in my research in general and I don't come across stuff and then you give me this and go here listen to this anyway the uh the first run through I didn't really know what to think of it initially usually with a metal band I'm, if I'm not too familiar with them I'll, I'll listen around to everything they have but this week I ended up listening around to your albums and now I'm a child of the 90s and high school for me, even though there's a lot of metal, there was also a lot of Dinosaur Jr., Ween, Violent Femmes, They Might Be Giants, and your stuff just slots in there perfectly. It is right up my alley. I listen to your entire back catalogue. I love all of it. Ah, uh, oh, thank you, man. I love all, all the themes, your quirky characters, oddball riffs. And then after, you know, listening to all that and going, oh, I, this is a, you know, a new love, I went back and listened to the band's visit again and it all made so much more sense musically knowing sort of where you came from before that i don't know something clicked in my brain i, I got acclimatized and so i went oh i get it you sound like a stalker <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i've just discovered a new band that that is exact you know i'm a huge they might be giants fan huge valent femmes fan you know like i said Wayne dinosaur jr all that era all that kind of stuff yeah love it i heard xtc i heard the xtc yeah i can hear some xtc in there as well yeah there's there's often xtc influence in my stuff i can't help it because that's just my favorite band because they're bloody good that's why yeah (laughs) one of the things i came away from was like where did you find someone who could play a pan flute because i swear there's pan flute in there in one of the albums like 96 oh on my albums yeah Um, there's a song called mississippi honeymoon that has a that has a pan flute sound but I don't know if that's on an album. I did that with Partridge. Um, he produced it. And that was a sample. So. Oh, okay. I can't play that. I don't know anyone who plays the pan flute, but I, but pan flute samples sound good. It's an odd instrument to just randomly pull out. It's like, <laughs> do you know some, some random hippie who can play the pan flute? <laughs> but yeah, after listening to the band's visit, I'm already shopping around for a Dubuka. Um, I would love one of those. I'm a you know, used to play drums and immediately I'm like, oh, that's that sound. I now can identify that drum. You know, I, I've always loved that that sound and I didn't know what was making it. I have a couple of them. There's one you can see behind me, that sort of ceramic one. I mean, oh, yep, yep, there it is. And I have one up there. I have a few of them, but um, it's a really fun instrument, if, especially if you ever have been a drummer. Mm. And the tricky part is just getting the strength in the fingers yeah. and, the, and the, but when it's played well, the guy on the album, the band's visit album, is one of the best Darbuka players I've I've ever seen. Mm. And also just this great guy, like just this sort of jolly guy, but holy cow, he he makes a sound on that thing. And when we did it off, off Broadway, we didn't have the a drummer, the Darbuka player. And I told the producer when, when, when we knew we were gonna move, please, you have to, this'll be the best bang for your buck you've ever spent. If you add one player, please, please. And we did, and it was just like explosive. So whenever I hear him play, I want to be better. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to learn at the Darbuka. You know, any, anytime I've had my hands on bongos, I've been trying to imitate that sound, uh, you know, with rim shots. And, and it's like, ah, that's what it is. It's a Darbuka. So yes, I want one. I want one for Christmas. I was actually wondering about a Darbuka. Am I allowed to play it? Are there any cultural or religious barriers? As in like here in Australia, it's a bit frowned upon. Oh, didgeridoo! Yeah. If I'm to play a didgeridoo, you know, but is is there any restrictions there with a dabuka? No, I mean, you know, didgeridoo is a 
can I mean now now it's been sort of normalized or popularized, but I can get that because it's used in sacred ceremonies and you know mm. there's something there's also something all you have to do is hear a didgeridoo to know there's something going on that's extremely deep and involves the fact that everything is made of vibration and energy. But a darbuka is a drum, you know. If there if there was maybe there would be a you know like in um, Afro-Cuban religious uh, stuff, some drums you, you should not, you shouldn't touch unless you're actually a, a mm. priest or a practitioner. So no, it should be safe. The book is a drum. Yeah. Like a djembe or like a, any, any of those kind of drums. Oh, that's nice. Oh, well, I definitely want one for Christmas. Yeah. So this musical is an album in itself. Like in the first couple of listens, it sounds like a band recording songs, not like a musical being recorded. You know, all the songs can be standalone songs without needing any context. You know, it's funny, it's sad, it's romantic. It's just, ah, it, this is excellent. Um, I, I watched the film and there's that great little build-up of tension of the Egypt and Israeli relations. Uh, and I'm assuming they're referencing the Six Day War of 1967. And then they put it aside with a hat and then just go on about telling a story about people just helping people. I love that. I love that they set that up and then just dropped it. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, it, it was sort of like... Uh, I, I'm friends with the guy who directed that movie and wrote it. And I said, you really just wanted to make your statement and then get on with the story, didn't you? And he said, yeah, you know, like you, you had to acknowledge it. So mm. they acknowledge it. They're in the cafe. There's this picture of a tank. Yeah. And the, and the Egyptian guy just hangs his hat over it. And then that's it saying like, this is not about that. Of course, it is completely about that. Yeah, exactly. But don't concentrate on that. Don't have flashback scenes of the war, you know, that kind of, mm. that kind of thing. But yeah, there's little comments of, you know, be, be careful, you know, just be aware of where you are, you know, and that we may not be welcome. Yeah. Uh, of course, Omar Sharif. I mean, oh my God, what a song. And, and, and the, the funny thing is about it, you, you break all the rules of musicals. Like you didn't really reprise Omar Sharif. You did more of a callback to it in something different. And then reprise something different. <laughs> so it's kind of it ends up, you know, that that line of "Honey, my ears" is, yeah, I think three times in the album. But yeah, the the big song you didn't reprise, you ended up reprising something else that uses that song. I thought that was cool. Thank you. You know, it, it's sort of that's how the chips fell. And uh, the real thing is just deciding to go ahead and do it. You know, like do that stuff. But I've been doing it for long enough that people will. Even if I'm not sure it's the right thing, they'll trust me blindly. So I can try anything at this point, pretty much. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, musicals can be very rigid and, and regimented once they're on stage. You know, you have, you have to hit certain moments to sync up with the lighting and the staging. But in this show, you've mentioned the band has free moments to improvise. And they get to jam out a little bit here and there. Um, is that something you would want to include in future musicals moving forward? The, the ability to just let the band jam out? Because as you know, as musicians, some of the best times you ever have is just jamming. The very first show I ever did was the Full Monty. That was 20 years ago. I wrote an overture that had rooms for solos. And then in the outro music, there's, there's rooms for extended solos while people are leaving the theater. And even during one or two of the songs, there's, it's regimented. It's like 16 bars. But, uh, and and I, I wrote out potential solos in case someone didn't have the chops, but there's room for solos. Like I'm always concerned that the pit orchestra is having a good time because I've seen videos <laughs> of like the violin section of 
I'm just pulling this out of my out of my ass, like the of uh, Wicked, or one of these shows that have run for de decades, and they're just like you know, like in a in a room in a different building sometimes, and they're just like night after night. There, you can read your magazine and play the show. So for me, it was like you know, I I, I always have drums and percussion because I I want to play with that in my own band. I have drums and percussion. You know, band's visit was cool because there's room for people to take off. Now they can't take off too long, but now I'm working on not as a, as a producer, not as a composer, um, Buena Vista Social Club as a sort of presentational, really telling the story of the people uh, and using just the, all the original Afro-Cuban songs as the score. But, you know, we're beginning to compile world-class uh, Afro-Cuban musicians and I never would not give them lots of room when you have great musicians playing. It's very exciting. And people who go to musical theater aren't used to it. I think that was a big part of packing the punch with the band's visit is, uh, you know, people who came to it because everyone was talking about it because the reviews were good, but who really would probably prefer something more mainstream coming and then seeing these musicians knock your hat off. I think that was a big part of it. Success. Very cool. Again, you could do a thesis on, on this entire album. There's just every song has its own voice. And, and again, you're bringing up um, converting things into musicals. Like, how are you choosing what moments to become songs? Because, you know, you've got, you know, just the band waiting for a bus. You know, there's a song. And the uh, I love the, the difference, the conversation between, I assume, Itzik. I hope I pronounce that right. That's right, yeah. Itzik's parents, are, you know, discussing where and when they met. And where the love began and you know the wife sort of going yeah what love and 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 you you've turned this quite depressing conversation where the you know the father's basically trying to make himself sound better and you've turned it into just this quirky oh so danceable love song with you know love beginning on the backbeat that's i love that to be able to you haven't really twisted the meaning of it but just yeah. taken it so much further it's yeah. it's sick and his wife are the couple that have that have a problem and then Itzik's father. Itzik's father, yeah, his parents, yeah. Who's who's a widower? So he's singing about he's singing about a song about his ex, you know, his 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 uh, late wife in front of this couple who's having a problem. But he's remembering, and it's really just that that song is just the story of how I first saw my now wife. I mean, I literally, <laughs> I was literally playing in a band outdoors, and I literally saw her dancing, and she literally had ribbons in her hair. So right, the savoring and story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then what was the? Uh, I, I'm. I think the only thing that's missing, and it, I assume it's in the show somewhere, is that I think there should be a, a song called um, "Hand on His Thigh." <laughs> that um, happens because I pissed, I pissed myself laughing on, over that. That was that was <laughs> hilarious. I, I even my, my wife is sort of going, "What are you laughing at?" I was like, "I, I don't know." It's funny as hell. Ah, thank you. And yeah, the only other thing was this. You know, the the writings of Rumi teaches us that that you know all you are and all you hope to be is already inside yourself were you surprised to find a middle eastern musical inside yourself and you were disappointed on missing out on Rumi the musical this you know just sorry just before you answer david there's no exclusivity to Rumi's life if david wants to write a Rumi <laughs> musical he's more than welcome it's to. literally just been launched now you know I, yeah, and there was two wild parties at the same time on broadway <laughs> we all remember that one of them had blackface so anyway sorry david i just had to but yeah no i was doing my research and i was like ah oh, you know Rumi. 
Oh, I did a big deep dive into Rumi a couple of weeks ago. You did. Where yes, you go. Uh, let, let, let our guests speak. <laughs> yes. The thing about the band's visit is it is already the Rumi musical. That's the thing. I mean, right. you know, like I, I was, when I would talk to people singing the songs on Broadway, I could see that everyone had their different level. They were hitting it on, but I'm literally quoting Rumi in some of those lyrics for a reason. Yeah, and I could hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm doing it for a reason. I'm doing it because for me, it's a, the sh show is a spiritual show. It's yeah. not just, it's not a love story. Even I mean, it is, it's sort of a, a love story that's never consummated, but it's deeper than that. And I remember when I was um, sort of uh, the guy who plays the handsome, the, the handsome young guy who's always trying to pick up girls, yeah. but, you know, the one that, that the, that the dweeb guy turns to for advice in that song. But, and then later he's the one who tries to get the band leader and the woman together. And then he ends up sleeping with her, you know, anyway, that guy is, I, that actor who was a very handsome guy with a good voice. And I could see sort of was prepping himself to be that like in life and, and in the movies or whatever he was going. And I said, Dude, you have to understand you're the, your character is the spiritual center of this. You're the thing that connects. You just want to connect, you know, whatever your other human foibles are, you've got some depth to you and that's what you're doing. And that's how I always saw it. So, you know, someday he becomes a, a Sufi, you know, <laughs> a Sufi master. <laughs> but anyway, yes, big fan of Rumi, big fan of the Zen masters. I studied Zen for a, a while. Rumi just, I've always loved. Hafez, there's Hafez in there too. Have you heard or, or seen anything about the, the Rumi musical from Nadine Naman? I've seen, I've seen uh, ads popping up or something, but I haven't, I, I'm afraid to look. I'll give it a listen. Oh, you like it? Oh yeah, loved oh. it. Yeah, we, we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago um, and I had to do this huge, I, I learned a new you religion. You didn't have to. I did. I, I got fascinated by, by the whole whirling dervishes and watching the dance of the Sema and, and everything about it, the reasons why they twirl and reasons for all the costumes. And, you know, you could, you could speak for hours on it. It's all uh, uh, Middle Eastern, you know, traditional. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that. You know, Broadway type theater tends to ruin anything it touches in terms of music. Like when you're trying to, when you're trying to make the, you know, whatever the New Orleans jazz music or the rock musical or the, the and it just rounds the edges off. And part of my thing, and I'm, I haven't always succeeded, is to try to get songs out there that don't round the edges off. So Full Monty is yeah. a rock musical kind of. One or two songs I kind of pandered a little bit, but some of them are really rock, you know, pretty good. And then all the other ones, they have their style and I tried to cleave to it. And I remember uh, when we were working with Pedro Almodovar on Women on the Verge, he said, don't no, no phony no phony no phony spanish music and you know he understands oh, I said italian sorry that was really racist i said italian before what why is that right that isn't racist that's just it's, a mistake spanish yeah I'm, i am a moron we we do know this sorry They're romance languages it's it's yeah. fine um anyway you know you know what i'm saying so yes if it's yes, if yes. it's beautiful arabic music that really is delivered mm, authentic yeah authentically yeah. the way we, the yeah. way bands visited then mm. i'm all for it oh yeah very much so it's all uh, written by you know people who who live it and 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 the cast is is all you know, as far as i know mostly arabic it was you know in, con in conjunction with the qatari orchestra it's ah. big it's grand and it 
so well done. Just premiered a couple of hours ago. Yeah, literally just got staged. Oh man, amazing. But yeah, Room in the Musical, give it a listen. You won't be disappointed. Okay. But okay. We're, we're talking about David's musical, <laughs> The Band's Visit. Ah. I can't wait till this comes to Melbourne. I hope we're going to get a proper production of it, which I don't think so far. Oh, the Full Monty, that's, I think, of your musicals, that's the only replica production we've gotten. Everything else is has been original interpretations of it but I would like to see this in its original form because then we get the American money to pay for it <laughs> and we, look we have a, a fantastic Middle Eastern community here very large because we, we got a lot of immigration in the early 90s with the war you know you'd be easy to cast I think yeah I think I think Melbourne is a, is one of those cities that you know and they're spotted all over the world There's, you know you're going to find even if you've never heard of them before, great, great uh, Arabic musicians or some Semitic musicians. I don't know what our, I don't know what the schedule is for Australia. And I don't, you know, like, it's weird. I, I know that there's a plan for starting a production and COVID sort of screwed all this, starting a production in Israel, putting together uh, a cast in, in Israel that, you know, it doesn't, it's not just all Israelis or all Arabs from the region. It's just the best people, but it starts in Israel. And then um, what we wanted to do was treat that cast like, you know, like an American touring cast, like take it very seriously, have David Cromer, who's actually a very brilliant director, replicate to some extent what he did on Broadway and have me there and sort of like, you know, work with them a little and then send them out to all over the world, basically. Send them out throughout Europe. And I think maybe Australia's on that plan. If not, it'll have to be a whole new new production. But I love that idea of, of a of a ensemble, like a touring cast that goes all over the world for two years or three years or something. Mm. And I'm finding that's more and more common these days. There's a, quite a few musicals. Um, what was it? Bad Out of Hell or one of them. There's an international touring cast or something that's um coming out but yes no i think is there anything else seven your thoughts your score that's what oh, we, we do look, need. i i have to i have to give it a five there's yeah. i have to five out of 20 yes. <laughs> <laughs> no no we're, yeah we're for some reason it's only out of five oh. yeah no every song every song has its own its own little personality and its yeah. own uh, its own little appeal like i said you can you could shuffle them out of order uh, like I said, it sounds like an album. It sounds like you're listening to a band recording an album, not a recording of a musical, which so often they are. Yeah. Um, and I'm and I'm left wondering, yeah, what is this about? This makes no sense. Whereas, um, yeah, no, this is like I said, all individual songs, all standalone by themselves. You can chuck them in a party playlist, and you know, you might get a few raised eyebrows, but bugger them. Uh, it's it's excellent. Um, uh, I, I wish I had half your talent. And, and yeah, uh, congratulations on all, you know, it, it nearly won every award it was nominated for, it certainly deserved them all. But yeah, I had the, had this, I had the same result. Like I watched the film and, and you're going, how, how did you put this on stage? There's barely any music in it at all. You know, there's an unfinished concerto. Sorry, that was my question. Did you end up using an un, the, any part of that unfinished concerto in the album? Oh, oh. Or in the show. Because I know sometimes when you buy the rights to a film, you don't often get the music. Oh no, no, I didn't use I didn't use any music from the film. Didn't use any of it, no. No, no. Ah, 
Well, no. that's I, I would have would have liked to have heard a little piece of the unfinished concerto. No, I wrote the I, I I don't remember what's on the album, but there is I wrote an unfinished clarinet concerto. Yeah, right. And you do hear him play it a couple of times, and then you know later on, of course, he plays the entire melody for the baby. That's how he finishes it. So yeah, we we added that. You know, like it's it's a musical, so it was like, oh, we better do something that yeah. gives you resolution with that. So there. I don't know if it's on the album, but it's certainly in the show. But oh, but good, it's not. Pro- but I wrote it. It's not the movie score. Right. Yeah. Okay. So just out of curiosity, what was the Tony you lost? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the only Tony we lost was uh, set design. The sets oh. were really really strong. Like like I don't know if you saw the photos or videos, but the sets are gorgeous, and it really took you there. And he should have won, but the Tony Awards, like most awards aside being a wonderful honor um, are really complete shit too. So, you know, it's like PR and money. And so it's really, a lot of it is about going to events and saying, yeah, yeah, it's a good show. I wrote it, you know, like. Yeah. Schmoozing. And we all did that. We schmoozed, but this guy didn't, he didn't schmooze and he didn't. So he didn't win. (laughs) Of, Of course he's a, he's brilliant. So he probably already has, Designers tend to have a lot of Tony Awards if they're good, and he probably's got you know eight of them or ten of them himself because yeah. they do four, three, four productions a year. Uh, I had a little rant about quote unquote award winners yesterday that people keep putting award winning author on their bio, so you look up their name, can't find a fucking single award that they've won, <laughs> and it just drives me nuts because, come on, kids, we can search this shit grow up anyways i think um <laughs> the band has left town <laughs> they're on the right bus this time they're on the right bus this time yes anyways, we're back in a moment with david yasbeck g'day listeners aaron here while you're topping up your coffees did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure. You'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. 
don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened, everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime. But it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead, Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Alrighty, you're listening to Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the one and only David Yazbek. Now I have to ask, in your opinion, what do you define as star quality besides me? <laughs> in the context of well, it's such a weird question i mean in the context of actors and actresses i prefer character actors and actresses so they're not stars yeah. but you know if you ask me like who's a great movie star uh well you know is it that star quality when someone walks in a room and they sort of dazzle yeah. you you know i'm trying to think of the last time i saw something like that and i feel like we did a workshop that Salma Hayek was in and I remember despite the fact that she was completely down to earth and like not not a poser in any way there's something about her when she walked in that that I just used the term like a term like star quality which I would never use <laughs> normally so that's the long answer yep now that's that's the question I'm gonna ask all composers lyricists directors anyone who cast shows really uh yes okay so how have your nerve levels changed from the opening night of the Full Monty compared to the opening night of Tootsie? Is there any change in, in how you approach it? Are you nervous? Are you couldn't give a shit? No, I care because it's my livelihood, you know. I, I, I don't mean don't... it like that. I, you know, I don't mean like nonchalant, <laughs> calm. 
No, yeah. no, I totally, I totally know what you mean. I mean, I, I get it. You know, I, I don't like going to opening nights and I don't like going to waiting online for food. And I don't like waiting online for, with a publicist, with a tag around his or her neck on a red carpet. Like, I don't like that stuff so much so that my wife, the, the last two times said, we're, we're going and you're going to at least pretend that you're having a good time because <laughs> it's a drag for, it's such a drag for her. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I get nervous for myself a little bit, but a lot for the people who really care, <laughs> you know, it's that people who are friends of mine or in my show. Um, but, but it feels to me like going to the dentist anyway. And then you sit there and I usually know though, like I, I was pretty sure we would all win for band's visit. And the other times I was pretty sure I wasn't going to win. I wasn't going to win. And then for Tootsie, I, because I'd already won one, I just didn't care. Like I just, I wanted the show to win because I knew the show needed to win to, to keep running, even though it was a big, seemed to be a big hit and great reviews. So I was nervous and then it lost and then I forgot all about being nervous anyway. So Yeah. And then in the end it didn't matter because COVID closed Broadway anyways. So um, yes, unfortunately. Rest in peace to Frozen. Um, I'm sure Broadway <laughs> is missing that right now. We, we love Frozen over here. Shout out to Patty. I actually I actually ran out of time to check. Is the band's visit being staged at the moment is it yeah. is it in plans to be it's touring it's touring now yeah it's currently t- it's tour. retweeting nice thank you it just left connecticut and uh, yeah. i just know i'm going out to la in december and that's where it will be so yeah i'll be there with yeah. it well awesome unfortunately we're not going to let it in western australia please give <laughs> michael Giacchino a high five for me when you are in los angeles <laughs> oh have you met have you met michael um no he- but he's uh, my number one dream guest I'll, I'll see him when i'm in la yeah and uh but he's you know i mean he did six giant movies this year you know i I, I can't i don't know how you work at generate that much work i i don't get it so but he does it so unlike me yeah i got got nothing but time (laughs) (laughs) but he's my pun master but anyways it it is not about him it's about you so what would a david yasbeck jukebox musical be called and what would oh. the cheesy paper thin story be and who would be your leads well i think i'd have to talk about callbacks i think it would have to be called vibrating butt lamp <laughs> oh it it writes itself i mean it's the story of a child's missing butt lamp i mean duh <laughs> and then the leads i mean are we going for commercial or for art because if it's commercial the leads are obviously uh george clooney and somebody else who's never been a fucking I don't know. Um, if it's if it's for art, you you any show about a butt lamp should star Norbert Leo Butts because of his name, but also because yeah. of his energy. He has a lot of butt energy, like a lot of sphincter energy, in a good way. In a good way, not in the way that you not that you're clenching your sphincter sphincter because you're embarrassed, like yeah. most Broadway. He's actually yeah. an amazing performer. Um, <laughs> and someone i can never invite in terms of jukebox musical like like who's uh whose work do you put up on stage no i'm talking about david's music oh you you put your own music up on stage oh albums yes oh yeah then yeah vibrating monkey butt lamp (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I would love, I would love that because I won't have to write anything. It's just already written. That would be so great. Yeah. Um, oh God, I actually made a list of my favorites. I generally don't hit like on Spotify very often, but yeah, I did. You know, Monkey in the Middle, Tool Calendar Girl, In Love with Its Surface Tension, Montgomery, Alabama. There's so many classic songs in there you can do. More the upbeat country influence type stuff was I was really bopping along to. All right, now be honest. Because you know you're being recorded right now, and we can see you. How keen are you to finish that egot? Oh, uh... <laughs> there's no shame in being competitive, David. No, on a scale from one to ten, I'd say a two. Yeah, you know, I just, <laughs> I mean, awards are, I, when you when you do the sort of rounds of awards. Yeah, I've done I've done it five or six times, like you know yeah, you're over it yeah. you you just realize how how much it's about just selling tickets to the show which is which i completely get so mm -hmm. i do it and i try to sell so and i also understand that awards not the only award that matters is best musical because that actually is an encapsulated thing you can put on the poster and help your tour and you can run longer it's all that stuff but it would be fun to have an an EGOT so that um, my like poker buddies can make fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? cool. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so will I, by the way. Um, so That's fine. Remember that yeah. if you ever do get it, which will hopefully That's be fine. with a band's visit, the musical, not that it's called the musical movie version, which I don't get this. Why are we turning movies into musicals and into movies again? And then we're just going to do another fucking stage version of it. It's based on that movie musical uh. shout out to Greece. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Okay, so we, we mentioned, well, I mentioned The Wild Party before. In Broadway 2025, there are two versions of the same musical being released, one by you. Who is the other one by? So who would be your arch nemesis to go against in a two shows of the same title from the same source material, but very different? <laughs> he hasn't written anything in a while, but I mean, he's written stuff, but he hasn't had anything on stage for a while, but he's going too soon. I would say Adam Gettle, who wrote um, Floyd Collins and uh, Light in the Piazza, which he won, won Tony for. You know, he's been a friend of mine. We were in a band together when we were really young, mm -hmm. <laughs> early 20s. But he's also just the most raw, just in terms of just brilliant depth of talent, he's the absolutely the most talented composer. So if he and I ended up somehow, we, we speak a lot. So but somehow I didn't know that he was, and he didn't know that I was, and, yeah. and we heard, I, I'd be like, oh, fuck. Because I'd feel like, you know, you know, whatever he would do would be more, much, yeah. much more interesting. So. Yeah, so you're off Broadway, he's Broadway in that scenario there. He's beyond that. Like he's sort yeah. of almost, he's not Broadway, yeah. but he's, you wouldn't say he's off Broadway. He's sort of neoclassical. He's in this kind of special place that no one else is in really. Yeah. Now, is there a historical figure that you've been keen to write a musical about? And why is it me? <laughs> there is an historical figure that I am writing a musical about. Uh, yeah. It isn't you because I didn't know you yet. Yet. Yeah. I, I've had a pretty interesting life, David. I'll well, we can, we can, uh, we, I'll, I'll send you a contract and yep, $10. Awesome. And <laughs> That's, That's pretty much what it's worth. <laughs> not with those illustrations yeah so I'm, I'm i'm writing something now with with a friend of mine and we did a we're making a movie actually that's a documentary of us making these songs and recording them and possibly eventually making the show 
Yeah. But I did perform the song cycle with sort of storytelling. It's a real figure. And that, that's been really fun and interesting. That's what we're, we've written all the songs and we have a good story and we're just not sure if it should be, I performed it with my band. We're not sure if we should keep it in that format or include an actor who knows how to act, which I don't, or expand it. So that's what we're trying to figure out. Yeah, That's well, a historical figure. So that's what I'm finding with the musicals so far that I've had to listen to, um, that when you, when you take something oddball and quirky and put that on stage, like the band's visit, like um, Mary and Max, um, again, works brilliantly, where they take something that you would not think of being a musical and then turn it into a musical. And it's, you know, you know, you're breaking the rules of musicals in general, where people are going to see big, you know, productions, Oklahoma type stuff, and, and you give yeah. them this paced out, laid back, you know, stripped back sort of show. And, and they come away, you know, making them think, um, I think it's, it's 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 great to see musicals evolving. The musicals cool. have always been ahead of the game. Thank you very much, Evan. What are you talking about? <laughs> I just didn't know they existed. That's all. Exactly. You didn't know how <laughs> irreverent they've been forever. Mm. Uh, now, what has been your experience uh, observing standing ovations over the past, say, twenty or years? So, well, there's, think there's been there's, a change. Yeah, they're completely devalued in the United yes. States. I don't know about over there, but... Oh, um, they're, no, they're heading the same way. It's driving me fucking crazy. Yeah, I'm hearing that a lot. People spend 100, 100, 150, 200, 300, you know, and they they better fucking want, you know, they, they're they saying like, oh, we're, we're all standing up because I spent 300 bucks, you know, <laughs> like it, it devalues it. But what it's, if it's become ritual, then so so be it, you know, yeah. and... When I'm when I have when I'm sitting there with a collaborator or a friend and there's a standing ovation for our show on any given night and they're excited, I'm like, you know, you just you just bought a prostitute, basically. Yeah, it's not <laughs> this is not genuine. Just, yeah. you know, even if it is genuine, we wouldn't know it, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's it's muted that that you can't tell the difference now because it just seems so regimented and people that now have to scream and start stamping their feet which you're in a bloody 200-year-old theatre half the friggin' time. What are you doing stamping your friggin' feet? Goodness gracious me, there's 3,000 of you doing it, or however many people in <laughs> in any given theatre at any time. No, it, it's, it's something I am on a, a rampage to cut this shit out. I feel like it's been getting that. It's been tw- last 20 years. Is, like It was way before reality yeah. TV. You know, it's like... It's just that feeling of like, oh, this is what we do. Oh, yeah, here we go. It's, yeah. you know, and then what happens then? Do they get on their phones and go, oh, piece of shit <laughs> when they're driving home, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think it's maybe convincing themselves they liked it more than what they did. Yeah. yeah. It's like a Mac- McDonald's syndrome. You know, I paid for this food. I'm going to damn well eat it all and I'm going to enjoy it. I paid for this food. I'm going to wear the fucking socks. Thank you very much, Evan. Uh- <laughs> My Happy Meal socks for $4.50 or something. Nice. I, love the uh, McDonald's. I can't eat the garbage i'm sorry i can't oh. yeah you just talk it um no. but i've come to the end of my questions evan have you got any more no i think i've kissed his ass quite a fair bit you um, have i have so i love everything you've done i did a deep dive into it, it, everything i could find yeah and and i just love it all it's you know I, you do you still do you play live with your band you'd like tour as a band as well as your all your musical endeavors yeah i mean we were I like to, I don't like to tour. So, and, and I don't, and nobody, I, I don't promote, I don't think I could do a tour because I don't think I'd have enough of an audience, but I like to play in the city in New York 
for a while I was doing monthly. Sometimes I do it every two or three months if I'm not, if I'm busy. I like playing with other musicians. We were supposed to do something right before COVID. Mm-hmm. That got canceled, obviously. We're, we're going to do this song cycle that I was just mentioning at a place called at 54 Below, where the, where yeah. the walls of the... Um, uh, and I'm kidding people. I've never been there. <laughs> I've never been to New York, but if, if David Yazbek's name starts rocking up on the toilet walls, someone please message me and let me know. There's no, you, you can't write on those walls. They're, they're sort okay, of then. all, there's like wallpaper and like pictures and like framed pictures. Oh, so you wouldn't want to. Yeah. Okay. Bugger. No, you wouldn't. You, yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll be performing in March. And I think that's what I'm going to be doing. Like when I perform out, I'll be doing that, those songs and, not, and I'm making an album, which, I mean, we have an EP almost ready, but I don't know when, I don't know what to do with it, where to put it, who to, you know, so we'll see where that goes. Remember, if you need a terrible cover, I am your man, David, as you can see behind me. <laughs> yes. No, thank you so much for joining us. It, it really is an absolute honor that, you thank you guys find yeah. the the um the the goodness in this show or the ridiculousness hopefully uh, we delivered on that uh, but where yeah. can people find you on the social medias i never go on facebook anymore i hate facebook i hate that pale fuck face who who's owns it and owns everything else now <laughs> uh you know i mean i tweet because i used to be a comedy writer so i like to have to have an outlet for gags twitter is just my name you know yeah and uh and I have a website, I guess I probably, I haven't seen it in about two years, but I think there's some songs on it, davidyazbek.com and Instagram for my dick pics. <laughs> awesome. Yes. No, I am already, I'm a paying subscriber to that one. <laughs> yes. No, that's it from us to you at home. You take care and we shall see you next time. Hooroo. Nice job. Jeff. Awesome. Thank you. That was excellent. <laughs>